I wanted to echo Alan's welcome to each of you this morning. It's generally a privilege to uh, have you here at Grace Point, and I really do feel that you feel welcomed here this morning. But I also wanted to say something kind of crazy this morning. Uh, we welcome you this morning at Grace Point, but also the God of the Bible, he stops to welcome you this morning too. You might or might not believe in him, but whether you know him or not, he knows you. He sees you and he loves you. And this morning, he speaks to you, to me, to us, a message of invitation to come and meet with him, to meet Jesus, who is humility himself. There's an outline in the bulletins you have on your chairs that might help you to follow along in the talk as we work through the passage we just read. But first, let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. Who we are not, please make us. Amen. I have been told that I should have more realistic expectations. I, I do a lot. I hope a lot. I am a very, very ambitious person. But this year, you might call it my New Year's resolution, I'm hoping for, have, to have more realistic expectations. So therefore, my hope today is that in this talk, my desire is to solve the problems of the world. That's funny, by the way. I want to suggest a crazy, mind-bending idea to you. The solution to the world in its tribalism, hatred, and chaos is humility. It's not hard for us to see the tribalism and disunity of the world we live in uh, in society with its racism and power abuse or just straight-up fat-shaming. We see it between countries in war, in trade, in fear and suspicion. Uh, even here in this church, where only some people sometimes seem to be welcomed. Only those who have got their lives together, who aren't a hindrance to society, those who are certain wealth bracket or educational level. Uh, even though Jesus invited the fringes of society, the poor, the prostitute, the hated, the traitors, that the church was not for perfect people, but for all people who all need God's help. I'm suggesting today that the answer to those problems is humility. Now, it's at this point I should caveat that I'm not actually claiming that if you become humble, you will solve every problem in the world. But this passage that we just read is about how humility came down in Jesus to solve the most essential problems by surprising, astounding humility. But if you think about it, humility is one of those things where it's kind of hard to define. It's the one thing that when you say you have it, you realize you don't have it at all. It wouldn't make sense for a humble person to come up and say, guys, I've done it. I've worked it out. I've realized I have achieved humility. Look at me. It also wouldn't make sense to come up and say that you're going to solve the world's problems when the talk is about humility. We get the irony of that, don't we? Thankfully, you don't need to come to me to work out what humility is. I'm far from it. But the passage we just read, it shows us what humility is in the person of Jesus, who comes himself as humility himself. Firstly, what does humility look like? It looks like Jesus. Uh, 
chapter 2, verse 6, talking about Jesus says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Paul is saying Jesus is God. He's not kind of like God. He's not that a part of him is God. He's fully God. And so naturally it would make sense if he is the ruler and creator of the world, it makes sense that he gets served, right? That's what happens. What happens to kings? Kings are served by others. Yet what Paul says here is astounding. Jesus, who is God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Even though Jesus is God, he knows that he has the right to be served. Rightfully so, he is the king. You and I, if we were the king, would see that as an opportunity for selfish gain. Jesus, however, sees something very different. Instead of insisting on his right to service, verse 7 tells us he made himself nothing. Uh, He relinquishes his rights by taking the form of a servant being made in human likeness. The king, who should have servants, instead comes to be the servants. I don't think you and I get this. Imagine this with me for a second. Imagine you have one grain of sand. Your job is to control that grain of sand into eternity. You need to make sure the grain of sand is where you want it, doing what you want, when you want. You always watch over it. That's your job, okay? How do you stop the wind from blowing your grain of sand away? Or if it does blow away, how do you find it again, distinguishing it from all the other grains of sand out there? You could, of course, take the grain of sand from the beach or wherever it's meant to be and put it into a container. But even then, you would grow weary and tired of watching it. It might still be there, but you wouldn't exactly be sure what it was doing in there. Uh, It would be an insurmountable task for you. One man in the University of Hawaii estimated that there are 7.5 sextillion grains of rice on the earth. And if you don't know math like me, that's 75 followed by 17 zeros. Imagine trying to control 7.5 sextillion grains of sand. Some people estimate that for every grain of sand on earth, there are 27,000 stars, leading to an estimation of 200 billion trillion stars. I can't count beyond 10, I think. That is how many stars that they estimate to be in the universe. Imagine controlling one star. The math might be all wrong. The estimation is difficult. But the point is, where you and I struggle to control one grain of sand, God does not struggle to control 200 billion trillion stars. It doesn't even phase him. He knows where they are. He knows how big they are. He knows their density, their orbits, the speed that they go, whether they'll hit each other or not. He knows the light that they emanate, their gravitational pull, axis, and tilt. It doesn't even phase him. He is the king and ruler of this universe But the passage that we just read tells us that that God made himself nothing. The king who should have servants comes instead to be the servants. 
He is the one whose strength holds up planets. That strength now holds up feet to wash. The one who knew no bounds becomes bound in a baby's swaddle. Jesus becomes fully human and fully God. And even though he deserves to be served, he serves. Jesus is the very definition of what humble means. Dictionary entry, look up humble. What do you see? It's Jesus. But the passage isn't even done yet. It goes even further in humbling himself. Jesus, the one who created life, what does he do? He goes to die. And it's not a normal death. He dies the shameful death of a criminal. The one who clothes galaxies with suns is stripped of his clothing, is naked, beaten, and mocked. But did you notice? Jesus does this willingly. It says he humbled himself. There's a difference between humbling yourself obediently and being humbled, isn't there? And you might ask, why would the king of the universe do this? You might ask, how is this serving us? And the answer would be the same. Jesus comes to die the death that you and I deserve. When he deserved to be served, what do we do? We did not serve him as we should. Everyone who rebels against the king, all that remains is prison and death. That's the rightful place that we deserve. Yet Jesus, relinquishing his right to be served, serves you by taking your death, the death that we as criminals deserve. If that isn't surprising, astounding humility, I don't know what is. Those pictures are mind-bangling and mind-boggling. My brain's a bit overloaded. Those are huge pictures of humility. Let me tell you two smaller pictures, stories about humility. One's positive, one's negative. I'll let you be the judge of which is which. The first one is about Muhammad Ali. You know, the guy who said, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, one of the greatest in boxing history. The story goes like this. Muhammad Ali is on a plane, and the plane gets into some serious turbulence. And so the classic announcement comes in and says, oh, we're facing some uh, significant turbulence. Please put on your seatbelts. The air stewardesses spring out of their seats, making sure everyone is sitting down, has their seatbelt on. One of the air stewardesses goes to Muhammad Ali and seeing that his seatbelt was undone, says, please put your seatbelt on. To which Muhammad Ali replies, Superman don't need no seatbelts. And the air stewardess instantly replies, Superman don't need no plane. Another story. There's a lone man in a bus in Detroit. Three young men get on the bus and they start hustling this man up. They start insulting him, mocking him. They're trying to start a fight here. But they realize when they come a little bit closer, he's a little bit larger than they thought. He's a bit more muscular than they thought. The man says and does nothing. The bus stop comes And he stands to get off the bus. And as he walks off, he hands the three young men a business card. And on it says, Joe Louis, boxer. That is, the heavyweight boxing champion of the world for 13 years straight. 
Joe Louis was dishonored and shamed by these men. He has every right to lash out. We wouldn't question him about it. But what does he do? He relinquishes his right to serve himself. And out of mercy and kindness, serves these young men by relenting of the ass whooping that he would give them. That is a small, imperfect shadow of what Jesus is doing on the cross. He has willingly humbled himself again and again, relinquishing his right to serving himself and instead serves you. But the great reversal is that at the cross, at the lowest place of death, Jesus is exalted to the highest place. He is given the name that is above every name, honor replacing shame. And he is the kicker. One day will come where every knee will bow and every tongue will finally acknowledge who he really is, that Jesus really is the Lord, that he really is the King. The Bible tells us this will happen. There's only one question. The question is, will you bow your knee to King Jesus willingly or unwillingly? Will you confess that he is the king with joyful tears in your eyes or bitter tears, wishing you realized it earlier? Jesus has already come humbly serving you on the cross. Imagine if we were to respond to his offer of help and service, saying, Sorry, Jesus. Superman, don't need no seatbelt. If you already follow Jesus, thank God for his incredible, humble service. Heavenly humility has come himself to you. If you do not yet know Jesus, yet follow Jesus, his invitation has come. Receive his humble service by asking for his help. He loves you, he sees you, he knows you, and he says, come. We're past halfway in our sermon, just 10 minutes left. We focus so much on Jesus himself, humility himself, because he is central. Without it, Philippians does not make sense. Without Jesus, nothing I'm about to say makes sense either. So, so far, we've seen that Jesus is the king. And so the natural question is... What is his kingdom like? What are his people like? And naturally, a kingdom is modeled after its king. A kingdom is modeled after its king. King Sejong, the great of Korea in the 15th century, valued equality. He's recorded to have said, if the people prosper, how can the king not prosper with them? And the people do not prosper. How may the king prosper without them? He created tax reforms. He gave maternity and paternity leave to the poor. Apparently, once when the palace had an excess of food, he gave it to the poor peasants to feed them. King Sejong valued equality, and so Korea valued it too. Alexander the Great valued ambition. It is said that the philosopher Plutarch said to him as a boy, boy, You must find a kingdom big enough for your ambitions. Macedon is too small for you. And indeed, his ambition led his citizens beyond Macedonia to conquer and seize territory voraciously. Wikipedia, the trustworthy source, never lies, told me that out of 19 recorded battles, 
He was victorious in every single one of them. The ambition of Alexander the Great shaped his kingdom. But perhaps an even greater and more wonderful king, maybe that we might know ourselves, the great Lord Farquaad of Shrek, once said, while imploring his citizens to save his princess from a dragon who wanted to marry, he said this, Some of you may die, but that is a sacrifice I'm willing to make. And everyone clapped. A king who is happy to put himself before the people. See, the king sets the pattern for the kingdom. What is normal and natural for the kingdom. What the kingdom will be known by. Jesus' people are called to have the same mindset as their king. If the king is humble, the people will be humble too. And we see what humility looks like expressed in verses 3 and 4. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. The second thing I think about when I read that is, how beautiful is that? The first thing I think of when I read it is that sounds insane. And if you had been the Philippian church, you would have thought it insane too. Because if you read Acts 16, let me show you who the founding members of the Philippian church are. First up is Lydia. She is a rich Greek businesswoman. Second up, there is a female slave possessed by a spirit and she fortune tells for money. Third up is a Roman jailer, Paul's Roman jailer, and he almost suicided, not even making it out of jail. These three people are some of the founding members of the Philippian church, and it is to them and others that Paul says, humbly serve each other. To which I'm sure they would have heard and looked at each other and said, how? Paul, do you not see how different we are? One is Greek, one is Roman. One is rich, one made others rich. One was locked up, one kept people locked up. There couldn't be more different people to start a church, Paul. Do you not see this? To which Paul says, be like-minded. Have the same love. Be one in spirits and of one minds. But Paul... There's nothing in common with us. And Paul would turn back and say, yep, there are lots of differences. But there is one thing you have in common. You all have the same king. He is what unites his people together. Church is not a social group where we gather around similar interests, although some of you may have similar social interests. Church is where Jesus' people gather united in Jesus their king. And it's not easy. We all know the difficulty of church because of the way that we're different. We're wired and programmed by society to exemplify how different we really are. But the kingdom of Jesus is modeled after its king. And it is a humble kingdom. And that express looks like unity. 
being united around serving the very same king, even amidst the differences you have. You look around the room today, and you just think about, how are they different to me? How are they different to me? How are they different to me? Same King Jesus. And that value word in verse 3 that we read earlier about valuing others above yourself, it's a thinking, considering, judging kind of word. It's a process that moves from thinking about yourself to thinking about others. It's the kind of thought process that happens when you begin to empathize and understand someone else's situation to understand the difficulty and complexity of their life when you start focusing on yourself. It's the kind of movement when you see a need and so you step up to serve that need. Where you see someone put down, you choose to lift them up. When you see someone unheard, your ears turn towards them to listen. It's when you look beyond yourself again and again and again and hunger to be be like your King Jesus to think less of yourself and more of others. It's relinquishing your right to serving yourself and instead following Jesus, serving others. Wouldn't that be a great knee-jerk reaction here at Grace Points? The first thing that happens when anything happens, oh, I want to serve them. Wouldn't that be a great knee-jerk reaction? What causes this kind of Countercultural thinking. It's when the people of the king look towards the king and see how they have been served first by their humble king. Verse 1 says, In Jesus, you have been united to Christ. You have been comforted by his love. His spirit dwells within you. He lavishes compassion and tenderness on his people. The people of the king have been served by the king. And that's what motivates them to follow in his humble steps of service. We serve because we have been served already. When every need you have has been met by the king of the universe, let me tell you, you don't need to have your needs met by someone else here. You don't need to make someone else here your servant because you have already been served. Your needs already have been met in the King Jesus. And so, you are free to serve others. How will Grace Point Burwood grow into this humble unity of service? It's only by gazing on the service of our humble King Jesus. Again, and again, and again. And when you think you've got service worked out, you probably haven't. Look at him again, and again, and again, at how he has served you first. And finally, I want to quickly wrap up with our last point, that the unity that is formed because of our humble king, that is a sign to each other and to the outside world. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 27, has that same united language that we've been talking about. It's all about unity, encouraging them to stand firm in one spirit, to strive together for the faith of the one gospel. There's one spirit, there is one gospel that they are united by. And Paul says that when this unity is expressed in serving each other, it is a sign to the opponents of the gospel that they will be destroyed. But it's a sign to Jesus' people that they will be saved. How do you know if a people have received the one gospel, the one spirit, 
that they follow the one true King Jesus, the sign is that they are united in his mission to tell the world the gospel. That together they are on about what the King is on about. When you're united in this, it reminds you that you are part of that. You will be saved. It's a sign that shows that you've already been served by King Jesus. And it's a sign to them, the opponents of the gospel, that they will be destroyed. Because for outsiders, if you see the church's unity in Jesus, it shows that you are not part of that kingdom. Because only in the kingdom of Jesus is salvation. Because outside his kingdom, all that awaits is destruction. For, as we said earlier, all will one day bend the knee to Jesus. The only question is whether they will do so willingly or unwillingly. Whether they humbly obey God or are humbled to obey God. I started this morning by saying that the solution to the disunity, hatred, and chaos of this world is humility. Salvation comes from the king who came humbly to serve you and die. His kingdom is marked by humble unity around their king, and their lived humble unity is a sign to them of salvation that they are the people of God. Their lived humble unity is a sign to those outside the kingdom that they will be destroyed. And so come to the king who has served you by taking your death. Keep seeing his service of you again and again and again, so we might continue to live in humble, united service of him and each other. Would our living at Grace Point Burwood be a sign to the world that we have been served by the humble king? Would our humble living be an invitation to come find rest from the disunity, hatred, and chaos of the world? Come, take refuge in Jesus. He unites the world He loves the world. He calms the world. Come. Would our church reflect that heavenly humility is here? Let's pray. Father God, help us to gaze upon King Jesus, who gave up his right to self-service to serve us. Help us to trust in his saving death for us on the cross. Please move us to follow in his pattern of humility with each other, to be quick to value, esteem, and honor others at Grace Points, that we would have the knee-jerk reaction to love and to serve rather than serving ourselves. Would you please make Grace Point Burwood a beacon of light to our world of disunity, hatred, and chaos? Would we humbly display unity, love, and peace, which only comes because heavenly humility has come here in Jesus. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.